I know it doesn't look like it, but that bird is really a dove asking us for world peace. No more wars. Sounds good to me. Right here. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. You found us. It's the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, in Oregon 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, and 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove, on 93 FM WLRI in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Minneapolis, St. Paul, AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, RadioOrNot.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, Detour Talk in East Tennessee, and Radio Sputnik, five days a week, usually hosted by Brad Friedman of Bradblog.com. But today you got me again, Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com, holding down the fort one more day for Brad and Desi. Now, um, although we have uh, made it into spring, I think we've entered the eye of the political hurricane. You know, when everything in the middle of the storm is calm and sunny, but you got to prepare for that second half because the back part of the storm is usually more powerful and more deadly than the front half. Just saying. But we're on a break of sorts. Um, This is the first week in 2016 that have no debates and no elections. Yeah, not not a single primary contest or caucus or actual debate, although CNN has one of their candidate forums um, one night this week for the Republicans anyway. Other than that, well, it's quiet, (laughs) as quiet as it can be during a really crazy primary season. Now, this was a big weekend for Bernie Sanders, but it was a little bird who stole the show. Before we get to the greatest show on earth, also known as the 2016 presidential primary season, A really horrible news story tried to sneak through while we were all watching the Trump train wreck. So let me read the opening paragraph from a Think Progress article titled, How North Carolina Became the Most Anti-LGBT State in Less Than a Day. The article is dated Thursday of last week, March 24th, and it begins like this. Wednesday was a whirlwind day in North Carolina's government. The legislature convened a special session. A complicated multi-part bill was introduced. It passed through the House and Senate, both Republican-controlled, and Governor Pat McCrory, Republican, signed it into law. Just like that, North Carolina became the state with the most hostile laws against LGBT people in the country. Let's talk to the guy who wrote that piece. Zach Ford is LGBT editor at Think Progress progress.org. Zach, I've been scratching my head the last few days looking at this new legislation out of North Carolina 
um, and, and Georgia, although we got good news out of Georgia today. So let's put that aside for a second. Um, but can you explain what where where this came from? It's a new anti-LGBT law um, that, that seems to single out, this time, transgender men. Am I reading this correctly? Well, all transgender people and also all LGBT people because it does so many different terrible things. Uh, you know, it's not new in the sense that Plenty of other states have been considering similar uh, kinds of measures, but it's new in that, one, it's the first one to actually pass, and two, it, it's the first one um, that does just as many terrible things as this one does. The bill is a reaction, or I should say the law, because it's passed. The law is a reaction to the city of Charlotte passing protections for the LGBT community. The city of Charlotte has debated this for several years, and this year it finally passed. They said, you know, if you are a member of the LGBT community. You should not be denied employment. You should not be denied basic goods and services when you go to, you know, our, our city's businesses. And the state immediately reacted negatively. The governor came out and said, this is terrible. And they regurgitated all these talking points that we've heard in other fights, um, most notably in uh, Houston in the fall when the, their equal rights ordinance was up for a referendum. And the claim is that men, uh, and I use the term in sort of scare quotes, right. will somehow uh, be able to enter women's restrooms and locker rooms and do whatever nefarious thing they might want to do. Uh, and it's factually un- incorrect. It actually, you know, is attempting to misgender trans women and and paint them all as predators. But, um, you know, the, the what they were able to do in North Carolina is react without any public comment. They scheduled a special session of the legislature and they did it all in one day. Wow. So none of us got to have a conversation about it. None of us got to say, here's how this hurts LGBT people. You know, the law overturns and preempts any local ordinance. So the law that Charlotte just passed is now voided. Um, and it specifically says that in public schools and any public, you know, government-run building, Transgender people are not allowed to use a restroom except one that matches what's on their birth certificate. And in North Carolina, the only way for a trans person to change their birth certificate is by actually going through sex reassignment surgery, which many trans people either don't want to have because it's medically unnecessary, um, don't want to have because they want to maintain their reproductive ability, or simply can't afford. So it's a really big burden on them. Right. And I mean, practically speaking, Zach, what are they going to do? Have somebody stationed outside of public restrooms asking to look down your pants? Well, you know, that's what we all sort of joke about. But in a sense, it's true. What we really worry about is profiling, right? You know, the the whole premise is that if somebody looks out of place, they should be able to, to be asked to leave. But that's generally still true. What this does is it encourages harassment of people who are transgender. And even people who might not actually be transgender, but, you know, a particularly butch woman or a particularly effeminate-looking man who doesn't identify as trans but might be mistaken or assumed to be trans uh, could also be, you know, harassed or, or pushed out of a space in which not only is it the safest space for them to be in, but the right one. Yeah, it's amazing. So uh, you wrote about this, what happened in North Carolina on Wednesday of last week. I mean, this uh, for those of us, because I, I was thinking, wow, was I just so not paying attention to anything but the primaries? How did I miss this? But you said it all happened on Wednesday, the 24th of March. In, out, boom, right? 
Yeah, well, I mean, there is the the fact that the media likes to spend hours covering Donald Trump and nothing yeah. else. So, you know, I, I think to a certain extent you're forgiven there. But it's, it's certainly true that, you know, uh, the Charlotte's ordinance passed the last week of February. The governor reacted. The lawmakers called the special session. And we only saw the text of the bill at like 10 a.m. Wednesday morning. And it passed through committees and passed both chambers and was signed by the governor before the end of the day. It was it was incredible. Amazing. Now, so that's going on in North Carolina. Um, and we've seen a lot of pushback from uh, all walks of life with uh, different businesses, different industries. You saw Rob Reiner to um, trying to remember who else, but different walks of life all saying we will not do business in North Carolina unless and until this bill is or this law is is off the books. Uh, But now this morning, we got different news out of Georgia, where a similar bill was, I don't know what the status was, but uh, Governor Deal had until I guess May 3rd to either sign it or veto it. And today he decided to veto it. What was the status of that bill? Sure. So this was the bill that had actually passed both chambers. So the the governor's action was the last step to be taken on it. Um, He has had a nice wide window in which to consider it. But that window allowed, as you said, for all of these national businesses, everything from Apple to, Mm -hmm. you know, the NFL suggesting, you know, Georgia might not get the Super Bowl uh, in the new stadium that they have, um, things like that. Um, The the pressure mounted and, and he decided to veto. The bill there had gone through many permutations while it was in the legislature, and a lot of it had been watered down to a certain extent, but it still had uh, pieces of it that were, you know, endorsements of discrimination. For example, um, a, a piece of legislative language that's borrowed from the federal First Amendment Defense Act that's uh, been introduced in Congress, which says that if you're an organization that serves the public uh, and receives any sort of governmental funding, if you have a religious belief about marriage, i.e. that it should be limited to man-woman couples, then you can go ahead and discriminate against the same-sex couples, and we can't hurt that, that funding or that contract. In other words, it would require the continued taxpayer subsidy of anti-gay discrimination. Um, so that was a piece that was still in this Georgia bill, uh, even though some of the other broader protections for like businesses to discriminate against gay, couple, gay couples had been removed. So it was pretty problematic. I, I, I know this is sort of a rhetorical question, because I don't know that you can come up with an answer for it, but where is all of this homophobic legislation coming from? It just seems like out of the blue, but I guess this these these types of bills are still in play and working their way through various state legislatures. Well, you know, I think it's a couple of things. One, I don't know that it's new feeling. I think it's a new visibility of that feeling. It's the same sort of thing that I say about um, the sort of racist sentiments we see from a lot of people who support Donald Trump's candidacy, that it's not that he inspired them to be racist. He maybe has only inspired them to be openly racist. Um, And what happened with LGBT issues is two things. One, we won marriage equality last year. Um, Mm -hmm. It was a big defeat for social conservatives. And they are still trying to find other ways to, you know, get their way and and pigeonhole things in the same way that they've done with chipping away at abortion law, right? They lost at the court, but they found ways to chip away at access. And so they want to do the same thing with marriage, which is, okay, you guys are allowed to get married, I guess, but we'll still let 
you know, businesses discriminate against you or will still let organizations discriminate against you and still be subsidized by the government, those kinds of things. Um, so it's, it's, it's the same sort of chipping away in terms of um, same-sex marriage. But then also we've just seen that a lot of visibility for trans people, um, you know, whether it's the, the, the folks in the media like Laverne Cox that or Caitlyn Jenner that people are just becoming more acquainted with, or also just, you know, transgender kids getting access to, you know, the right bathrooms and sports teams in their schools. All of those things are going well, um, for the most part, when the right things happen. But Mm -hmm. then there's this backlash where people are like, I don't know anything about transgender people. And the idea that, you know, my daughter might have to go to the bathroom with somebody else who's a girl just because I have this preconceived notion of what their body should be and and what my daughter should see in the locker room. All of this fear comes out, all of this fear of male-bodied people and, you know, just unawareness of what it means to be transgender is inspiring this other backlash. Now, so we know North Carolina, obviously Georgia, thank goodness, maybe maybe all the threats of boycotts and other um, uh, retribution caused Nathan Deal to say, all right, I'm vetoing this. Um, do you think that had something to do with it? Well, I'm sure that it did because we know that it had the same effect in Indiana last year when mm-hmm. they tried to, to do a similar action, and it did the same thing in Arizona the year before that. So we know that it works. The problem is when it only works in one state, and we don't keep the same pressure up in other states. So, you know, we had a bill earlier this year in South Dakota, which was also vetoed. That was an anti-trans bill. Um, but there's, you know, dozens of other bills in other states that are that are propping up. Um, for example, in Kansas, there's an, an anti-trans bill that actually would allow people to sue schools if they see someone who's trans in the bathroom. Oh so it's God. actually like creating like a bounty on trans people. Um, wow. My some of the other activists I know and I joke that like they should just get together with a trans person <laughs> and you know, stage seeing them in there just to sue and get lots of money from the state. But of course that would be stupid and mean, but it just shows how, you know, how awful an idea this is and how targeted it is uh, against trans folks. So well, it's horrible. That, so what other states, yeah. I mean, what other states should we be on the alert for? Well, I, you know, it's hard to, to limit it to just one because, you know, at this point there are dozens of different bills in different states mm-hmm. um, that are popping up that, we, they all have different statuses, right? They're either going to be voted on or maybe not or could be amended or are placeholder bills. So we still have a lot of fights ahead of us uh, in the state legislatures right now. Uh, and so everyone just needs to remain vigilant. Uh, now, in North Carolina, I know that um, uh, Reverend Dr. William Barber has been holding the Moral Mondays um, in conjunction alongside of, of the legislative session. Uh, um, I, I haven't heard a lot about him recently, maybe just because I'm not in North Carolina and media is so hyper-focused on the elections. Um, is this something that he's fighting back against um, uh, vociferously, as I would expect? Well, I can't speak to that personally because okay. um, I don't know for sure. I do know that Reverend Barber is uh, a very fierce ally for the LGBT community. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I know that there's been a lot of scrambling over the past week just to figure out how to respond to this. And what I think will be most interesting is actually what pressure we can get from businesses because since it's already law, it's a threat of actual action as opposed to possible action, right? In Georgia, all the businesses are saying, if you let this pass, 
we're going to pull out. But in North Carolina, it's already law. So it's up to businesses to show that this is unacceptable by actually, you know, sort of putting their money where their mouth is and, and making real decisions that show the North Carolina that this is unacceptable. Wow. And I guess, I, I mean, I, I guess in, in the big scheme of things, the only way to change this is on election day to change the makeup of the North Carolina state legislature. Oh, and the governor's office. Sure. I mean, that's certainly true across the country as well. You know, North Carolina used to be fairly purple and, and had a lot of Democratic leadership, and it flipped recently. Um, so there is, you know, the impetus to flip back. But the other big challenge, and this is true of Congress as well, is that so many of these districts have been gerrymandered to really favor uh, conservative elections and, and Republicans getting elected, even where the majority of people in the state don't necessarily share that sentiment. I mean, going into Wednesday, we had polling that showed that even among Republicans, a plurality opposed overturning Charlotte's law. So there really has to be an impetus to not just come out and vote, but really work against this rigged system. You know, if if nothing else, this election season, including insane things like this should make every single person in this country um, just just hyper vigilant. You got to be involved in the in the electoral process on every level. Otherwise, we wind up with laws like this. Absolutely. And, you know, I think I I wish it were true that even anybody that just watched the Republican primary felt the same way. But, of course, we know that there are a lot of people who support Ted Cruz, who has a very anti-LGBT platform, his religious Religious Liberty Commission uh, group of uh, advisors just put out all of these anti-LGBT things that he could do if he were elected. And, of course, you know, Donald Trump's candidacy also represents uh, a broad swath of intolerance. So it'll really be upon... Democrats, whether Bernie or Hillary end up winning that primary, to rally together and say, look, any of the options that we're getting from the Republicans speak for intolerance, and we need to figure out a way to to counter that. Without a doubt. Uh, This is going to be an interesting next uh, few months. I, I could do without some of the interest. I, I'd rather it just be, you know, uh, we all get along. But I, I guess uh, we've we've got a big fight on our hands. Zach Ford, LGBT editor at Think Progress. Um, I find him on Twitter at Zach Ford. Thank you so much for jumping on with us today and explaining sure this. And hopefully people will pay attention and vote. If we don't have a time to go and vote at the ballot box, we can vote with our pocketbooks. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Zach. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Zach Ford, LGBT editor at Think Progress, thinkprogress.org. When we last met, I promised you we would reconvene today and update you on the results of the Saturday caucuses. Oh, yes, we'll do that next. So don't go away. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com, filling in for Brad and Desi on the Bradcast. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. 
Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us out today. Rise up this morning. Smile with the rising sun. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, it was a party in Portland on Friday night where Bernie Sanders was holding a rally. Over 10,000 people there. And all of a sudden, the crowd seemed to be focused on a little bird. I want every kid in Oregon and Washington and Vermont to understand that if he or she does their schoolwork seriously, does well, takes school. See, that's where they saw the bird. What? And then Bernie notices there's a bird off to the side. Just sitting there, looking at him. (laughs) Now, you see, this little bird doesn't know it. Oh, my... And then the bird flew from the side of the podium to right on the podium, right in front of Bernie, looking right at him. It was a moment out of a Disney movie. (laughs) And then the bird flew away when he was good and ready. I think, I think there may be some symbolism here. Yeah, I think. I know it doesn't look like it, but that bird is really a dove asking us for world peace. (laughs) No more wars. Works for me. Uh, So that was Friday night. Yes, in, uh, in Portland, Oregon. All right. On on Saturday, uh, Bernie went on to uh, just win landslide victories in the three caucuses that were held on Saturday. First up, Washington State, then Alaska and then Hawaii. And um, when I say landslides, I mean landslides in Washington State. Bernie Sanders took 73 percent of the vote to Hillary Clinton's 27%. In Alaska, 82% for Bernie Sanders, 18% for Hillary Clinton. And Hawaii, well, not quite as massive. Oh, but massive nonetheless. 70% for Bernie, 30% for Hillary Clinton. Yet, you know, if you watch the Sunday shows, all the hosts wanted to talk to Bernie about was him getting out of the race. You won big out there in those three states. You're still way behind in the delegate count. What does this mean for the race? Jonathan, what it means is we won three landslides last night. We won six out of seven uh, contests in the last 11 days. We've cut Secretary Clinton's lead by a third during that period of time. Clearly, we have the momentum. And I think at the end of the day, we're going to end up with more pledged delegates I think the superdelegates are going to have to make a very difficult decision. And that is if a candidate wins in a state by 40 or 50 points, 
Who are you going to give your vote to? And second of all, which candidate uh, is better positioned to defeat Trump or any of the other Republican candidates? I think a lot of the superdelegates are going to conclude that it's Bernie Sanders. Now, aside from all the hosts on the Sunday shows that interviewed Bernie Sanders this weekend, wanting him to endorse Hillary Clinton and drop out, the other thing you might have noticed was that the delegate counts seem to be all over the place. Even this morning, when I tried to get an accurate count, I looked at the New York Times. I looked at real clear politics. And the numbers that I got were wrong. So we're going to check in now with Gaius Publius. He's a blogger, an author, a very smart man who was on with me last week. And we were talking about the problem with superdelegates and the corporate media putting its fingers on the scale, so to speak, by including the superdelegates in the delegate totals when that's not really accurate. So let's get the real numbers, okay? For that, we check in with our friend Gaius Publius. So uh, Gaius Publius, last week when we spoke, you made some predictions that uh, March 15th would be the high watermark, and then Bernie would start putting some big win numbers on the board. How did he do? We beat my predictions, and my predictions are... Uh, I consider them somewhat aggressive. So yeah. this is really good. So let's talk about this because we spoke last week. We were talking about, you know, all the doom and gloom predictions. Bernie Sanders has such a, you know, Hillary Clinton has such an insurmountable lead. There's no way, uh, you know, Bernie can catch up. Uh, except we noticed that depending on the so-called news outlet you're watching, um, the numbers are, are just always different. And sometimes they include the superdelegates, sometimes they don't, sometimes they disclose it, more often they don't, and it's very confusing. And they're throwing around some numbers that are just nonsense. Like this yesterday, Bernie Sanders is on uh, This Week with Jonathan Carl. And listen to what Jonathan Carl says and how Bernie pushes back. But you still need 73% of the delegates going forward, which is a, a no, huge... No, no, no. Well, no, I, I don't accept that. That is not the case. You're assuming that every superdelegate who now supports Secretary Clinton will stay with her. You're not taking into consideration the fact there are hundreds of delegates, uh, superdelegates who have not yet made a decision. We think yep. we can win many of them. But the media has this narrative that they keep pushing uh, damn the facts, Gaius Publius. Now, it's funny to watch MSBS, as we now call them, um, now qualifying it with, with the ridiculous uh, totals and say, well, that includes the superdelegates, but without explaining what that means. And the superdelegates have not voted yet. Right. They just haven't voted. No. They vote at the convention. So you count the votes that are in. Superdelegates are people who say they, this is what they plan to do. But, you know, they, they didn't do what they planned to do in 2008. They went with Barack Obama because he had right. won the majority of the pledge delegates. So that, that's, you're right that that's BS. The other thing that's happening with the, with the vote um, is that states are reporting, states are updating their reports. We had a report in the last couple of days from Texas that flipped a delegate. So you'll see numbers change back and forth. But I think I'm, I'm current right now. We had a high water mark of what I thought was 325 uh, lead for Clinton on April, uh, March 15th. 
Right. That's the last of that uh, that bulge that she was going right. to get. Right. That was following Florida and Ohio and, you know, that big Tuesday. Uh, North Carolina, yep, right. Yep, uh, There was, yeah, now I'm losing my page. But, yeah, it was the 15th. It was uh, Florida, Illinois, Missouri, North Carolina, Ohio. That was Hillary's big win day. And as we t- discussed right after that, it was going to be uh, then a, a much more favorable map for Bernie Sanders. And we saw it um, the f- last Tuesday with wins in Arizona. I'm sorry, with uh, wins in Utah and Idaho and a close race in Arizona. And then, of course, uh, this Saturday where, you know, he blew the roof off of the thing. Um, landslide victories, all of them. Absolutely. So uh, what happened uh, March 15, we, we went to bed on March 15 thinking that she had 325. Then the, the Democrats abroad reported because it takes them a while to report their right. vote. And we had all these micro adjustments. So the number to, to keep in mind is 317 was her high water mark. Okay. 317 more pledge delegates than Bernie had. Than that was San- her lead. More right. pledge delegates than Bernie Sanders had. Okay. Um, he picked up 21 on March 22nd. Uh, excuse me just a moment. It's okay. It's early out there on the West Coast. <laughs> we have morning voice. And we have changing weather here. Yeah, we do too. And so that yeah. screws up my voice. Yep. Sorry well, I hear you. That. It's okay. We're all fighting something right now. So March 22nd, he picked up 21, and then last Saturday, he picked up 66. I had him thinking, I was thinking if he could come up with 50, mm-hmm. that would be sweet. But he picked up 66. He's now sitting at uh, minus 230, having been down 325. Okay, but now question for you, because um, I thought I read that there were, uh, for example, 101 delegates up for grabs in Washington state. Bernie got 72.7% of the vote. Hillary Clinton got 27.1% of the vote. It's showing Hillary getting netting nine delegates from it and Bernie 25. Where are the rest of them? Well, it depends on where you look. Um, I'm looking at the New York Times. Right, and they're out, they're out of date on this. Oh. A lot of people are out of date a little bit. Okay. Uh, I go to Wikipedia, which gets its information from Green Report. Okay, or, or Green, Green Papers. What, the Green, Green Papers, the that's Greenpapers.com is what you have here. Okay. And I, I saw that you had tweeted a question ahead uh-huh. of the show. Yeah. So I double-checked, and then I went to 538, and they are updated correctly also. All of the delegates from Saturday's uh, voting have, have been allocated. Sanders is 74 delegates out of Washington. Ah, Clinton is 27. Okay. All right. So that's updated. There you go. So those who are asking, Bernie did not just get 25 delegates. He got what I'm looking at, what you show is seven, well, soft plus 74 to 27. 74 to 27. Which and adds up to 101. to 101. There you yep. go. All right. Good to know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bookmark this. Cause New York Times, I guess, you know, I guess they all had to take off for Easter. So they didn't update there. <laughs> there, there. Well, you know, 538 was out of date. Oh. Uh, Wikipedia was the one that was in wow, date. Wow, that's surprising. Green, Green Papers was out of date for something that was going on in Kansas. There was one delegate flipped in Kansas. I think they were counting provisional ballots or something. And nobody had picked it up except this one place, and now it's finally rippled through to where everybody's numbers agree. So we're we're down 230 right now. Okay, so then these numbers, the 1243 to 975 is no good either. So do we have a new total? We have a Clinton total of 1267. Okay. 
we have a Sanders total of 1037. Ah. And a wow. deficit of 230. Right. Uh, and uh, and remember, they need 2383 delegates to win. So Hillary Clinton still has more than a, a thousand to go. And again, we're not counting the super delegates. Because the superdelegates haven't voted yet. They should not be counted until they vote. Am I wrong there? No, and let's let's back the superdelegates out of that 2300 number, too, because ah. that includes the superdelegates. Oh, okay. The number of pledged delegates is 4,051. 2026, 2,026 votes is 50% plus one. Oh. Now, if he gets 2,030... Are the superdelegates going to say we're going to hand it to Clinton anyway? That, that's he's, going to walk, right. he's going to walk into the convention knowing what his total is. So yep. is she. Yeah. The superdelegates are going to look at that and decide what to do. Well, I, I so think the, it the comes... the number to keep in mind is 2026. 2026 is what they need. Um, that's 50% plus one. So, and 50% that's all... 50% plus one of the pledged. Then why does it... Uh, of the pledged. So the 2383 is... How do they come at that the number? Supers. Includes that the superdelegates. Okay, so because that gives... at the at the convention, everybody does vote. The pledged and the supers, mm-hmm. they all do vote. It's just that the 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 supers aren't 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 committed to do anything but what their sweet little natures desire. Right. So now now I wasn't paying that close attention to the superdelegates back in two thousand eight. But do you remember? I mean, were the was the media so insistent on including the superdelegates in the counts um, during at this point in the in the contest? I don't think they were, and and the reason is that even though we had all this hopey changey stuff uh, around um, Obama. That stuff actually came from his ad campaign that was provided for free. If you remember, Will I Am. Yeah. Will oh, I yeah. Am was the one that that painted Obama with a with a brush that Obama didn't paint himself with, mm-hmm. except on a couple of his lies, like he he would renegotiate NAFTA, for example. Right. right. But um, you really had Wall Street had given more money to Obama's campaign than to Hillary Clinton's campaign, which was a shock, but it was true. You had two establishment candidates, so there was no reason for the media to tank one of them. You've got a revolutionary candidate in the race right now. It's in the interest of everybody. I call them Comcast News. It's in the Mm -hmm. interest of Comcast News and Time Warner News, all of those people, to tank Bernie Sanders. they're They're in Clinton's seat. They want Clinton in the White House. Yeah, it's amazing. Now, here's here's what it comes down to. When those superdelegates have to vote on when they're at the convention, um, you know, you got people like Howard Dean who says, I don't care. I'm not beholden to you. I'm not elected to any office. I'm a superdelegate because I was chair of the DNC and I'll vote however I damn well please. After many Vermonters said, hey, our state voted overwhelmingly, like over 80, what was it, like 86% or something like that for Bernie Sanders. You should vote the will of the people. And he said, no. But I think most elected officials understand. Um, if you're, say, um, oh, uh, uh, say uh, Patty Murray, you know, what she should do is say, oh, my God, the people of Washington state voted overwhelmingly. I mean, uh, eight, uh, sorry, Washington, 73% for Bernie Sanders. I have to use my superdelegate to vote the will of the people. That's the no, way it she, should work. 
Yeah, right. But that that's in a reasonable world where where people aren't bought and sold for money. That's right. You you you've got a you've got a candidate who is going to put Wall Street executives in prison if he gets in office. Yep. Wall Street spends so much money funding the Democratic Party. They are going to say to the Democrats, this is what they said to the Democrats after the 2014 election, and um, Elizabeth Warren was brought into the uh, the leadership team in the, in the U.S. Senate. They basically told Chuck Schumer, get rid of her or we're cutting off all of the money to Democrats and we're going to we're going to finance the Republicans from here on out. Yeah. Schumer freaked out. He couldn't get Harry Reid to back down because Harry Reid could see the writing on the wall. Uh, even though he's the one who gave the uh, Nevada caucus to Clinton. Yes, he did. But, but uh, he allowed uh, Chuck Schumer to balance Warren with Mark Warner, who is just a, a, a mainstream yes. corporate right. hack. Right. And who almost lost his own seat, by the way, in a, in a race that wasn't supposed to be close in 2014. Well, you know, I'm, right. And, and th- th- we're seeing this play out in Florida right now because Chuck Schumer has gotten in bed with, you know, Patrick Murphy, the guy who was raised a Republican, his family, uh, a lot of money um, come from a long line of Republicans. They've uh, they supported everyone from the Bushes to the Rom to Romney on down. They are a Republican family. Patrick Murphy changed his party affiliation to Democrat a few years ago to run against Alan West. Remember Alan West, my old nemesis? Um, So, you know, in that case, anybody was better than Alan West. Well, now this blue dog Democrat name only decides he's going to run for the Senate using daddy's money. And um, so he is is up against Alan Grayson, who I've got my own problems with these days. But my God, between the two of them, you go to, to follow Joel Silberman's lead. I'll vote for the most progressive candidate in the field. Um, but you had because Chuck Schumer has it in for Alan Grayson, wants his his Wall Street stooge, somebody who's going to, you know, uh, bend over backwards to to uh, to help out the Wall Street money and interest. Um, and they've gone balls to the wall for Patrick Murphy to the point where Obama and Biden endorsed Patrick Murphy in this primary. And Joe Biden's in South Florida today campaigning for the guy. This is this is this really is about a revolution, and people should think that this is not a slogan. Yeah, this is the kind of we're we're talking about changing the Constitution of the United States at this point. The Constitution has devolved to the state that it's in as we see it right now, and he wants to radically redraft it. He wants to take money out of politics, and that's going to radically change what's going on in this country. Well, and that's everybody the important with thing. money in this country is going to want to see him fail. Well, and I don't, not everybody. That's that's a really broad brush because I do know some people, good people who happen to have a lot of money, who believe in democracy, small d democracy, who believe in taking care of those you know, who are hurting among us, who, who who believe in, you know, feeding the hungry and housing the homeless and, you know, not letting grandparents have to choose between prescription medicine and food. You know, there are some good people who have a lot of money. Um, but but the, the thing that I, I really think is important to drive home now is that um, those, these super delegates, those uh, Democratic Party figures like Chuck Schumer and Debbie Wasserman Schultz and, and sorry, Nancy Pelosi and Steny Hoyer and those people who've been entrenched in D.C. for so long, 
they don't want to change the uh, the campaign financing system because it works for them. Doesn't matter that's predicated on lies and and favors to the wealthiest among us and those who can pay for it. Doesn't matter because it's worked for them. They know if they upend that system, they're out of a job and they're going to try to protect their paychecks at any cost. It's it's like the it's all of us against them. And, you know, that it seems to be the only thing that I can sympathize with on the right, what's fueling the insurgency on the right, because you look at their establishment candidates and they're I mean, they're just as heinous as the anti-establishment candidate. Absolutely. The revolution is going to come. It, it just needs to. Th- there are two axes. One is, is it going to come electorally or outside of the electoral process? It is going to come. And the other one is, is it going to come led by a humanitarian populist like Bernie Sanders or like uh, Elizabeth Warren? Or is it going to come led by a populist in the, um, oh, that guy in Louisiana uh, or the Donald Trump mode or um, – uh, the people like that, the, the, the populace who are basically fascist under, under the skin. We're going to get a revolution. This is our last chance to get it through the electoral process. And we've got, it with a, rel- we've got a chance with a relatively clean candidate. Um, let me put a note for uh, the next two contests in yes. the, the listeners' minds. Yep. April 5, Wisconsin. Yep. April 9, Wyoming. And then we head to New York. Yes. Out of those next two contests, if we can come up with 31 more votes than Clinton, the her lead will drop below 200. Wow. And I think that can be made into some nice news. Well, I think so, too. Um, this is a great look. This week, I'll say it for the third time today, this is the first week in 2016 where there's no election, and there's no debate. I know there's some CNN Republican forum, but this is the first week that it's like all quiet on the campaign trail. Um, this is a great week to do some phone banking. Go to Bernie.to slash win. Bernie.to slash win. Bernie to win. It, it'll take you to the phone banking page. It's easy to learn. You can do it on your own or you can go to a phone banking party. They're all over the, all over the country. Um, but this is all hands on deck time. There's a Bernie Sanders for President Reddit group also. It's very, very large. Look for the one that's the largest. Ah. They do an awful lot of coordinating among themselves around phone banking. It's, it's turned into a very activist kind of a, a nexus also. Okay. I've never, I've never gotten into Reddit. I guess I need to just explore, huh? Well, some people who are listeners to this show are into Reddit. And, oh, sure. And if you're comfortable, oh, without a doubt. Go for it. That's yeah. a good place. Okay, good to know. Uh, Gaius Publius, do uh, subscribe to his newsletter, tinyletter.com slash Gaius Publius. You can also find his author archive on Tumblr. GaiusPublius.tumblr.com. Ah, there you go. GaiusPublius.tumblr.com. You can also find him on uh, Down with Tyranny and at Digby's Place and other places too. Guys Publius, thank you so much. So if you think things are calming down now for this week, <laughs> think again. Bernie Sanders is pushing for a debate in New York, something he's been pushing for really since the discussions on adding more debates. Remember around adding one in Flint? Uh, started. He's been asking for one in New York from uh, Hillary Clinton's camp. They say, well, it all depends on Bernie Sanders' tone. I'm not kidding. They said it depends on his tone. Hmm. But the tone from the Clinton camp is a little troublesome for uh, many of us, especially people of color. 
Because on Saturday night, after Bernie Sanders' landslide victories in Washington State, Alaska, and Hawaii, the Clinton camp put out some talking points, chalking up those big victories to the fact that these were white states. Yes, you heard right, white states. Now, that's not what I know of Alaska, Hawaii, or even Washington State. Listen to this. Alaska and Hawaii are very ethnically diverse. One third of Alaska's population is Native American, Asian, Black, Pacific Islander, or of mixed race. Three fourths of Hawaii's population is made up of people of color, with nearly 50% being Asian. And Washington State ranks among the 10 most ethnically diverse states in the country. But that didn't stop cable pundits from belittling Bernie Sanders' victories uh, by, well, quoting the Clinton camp, um, claiming that the populations of those states are mostly white in order to justify their false narrative that Bernie Sanders is unable to connect to non-white voters. Interestingly enough, that narrative prompted a new hashtag, Bernie made me white. Well, I tracked down the guy who was responsible for that hashtag, and we're going to talk to him next. Don't go away. I'm Nicole Sandler, filling in on the broadcast. One more Nicole. She's on live Monday through Friday from 10 to noon Eastern Time and repeating all day at RadioOrNot.com. Listen anytime. Ah, yes, we're still reeling from the awesomeness that was Bertie Sanders. <laughs> uh, Birdland playing in the background as we continue with this edition of the Bradcast. Brad and Desi will be back tomorrow. In the meantime, you got me, Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com. And before the break, I was telling you that um, the media, well, I, I really, I've got to go back and blame this on the Clinton campaign because they had a, a press call in which they sort of um, uh, rationalized the big Bernie Sanders wins in Washington, Alaska, and Hawaii on Saturday to the very white makeup of the residents of those states. And I say that with an air of incredulity to my voice because, well, it's wrong. Here's how CNN reported on Bernie's landslide victories on Saturday night. Quote, these caucus states, largely white and rural, are the types of places Sanders traditionally does well. In order to win the nomination, he must replicate his success in other more ethnically diverse states that hold primaries, as he did in Michigan last month. In theory, it's possible, but the reality is tough. Well, the reality is they're wrong. Washington state is literally the seventh most diverse state in the nation, According to Raw Story, two, if not three, of the five most diverse counties in the country are found in Alaska, which CNN itself described as, quote, the most diverse place in America in an article in January. And Hawaii, according to the Pew Research Center, stands out, quote, more than any other state when it comes to its racial and ethnic diversity. So where did the Clinton campaign get this? Who knows? Doesn't really matter, does it? Because they said it. The media echoed it, and a hashtag was born. Hi, is this Leslie Lee? 
Uh, yes, this is Leslie. Hey, Leslie, uh, thank you so much. We just uh, made contact very quickly on Twitter. Um, I, I actually saw you had responded to um, uh, something that Joan Walsh tweeted out. And um, turns out you're the guy who started the hashtag Bernie Made Me White. And you're actually, you live in Japan. Uh, yes, I live in Yokohama, Japan. Wow, what do you do over there? Uh, I'm a writer and an English teacher. Oh, nice. There's a big expat um, uh, American community in Japan, yes? Or, or do you, do you guys already voted in the primary, didn't you? Uh, yes, we voted and over- overwhelmingly for Bernie Sanders. Yes, you did. So now, what happened? I, I mean, I know what happened, but I'd love to hear in your own words. What happened to uh, get you to start this hashtag that went viral yesterday? Well, basically, if you're a person of color or a woman, uh, frankly, who supports Bernie Sanders, you're pretty used to being ignored by the media. Every story is about how Bernie, uh, either Bernie's supporters are all white bros or about how Bernie doesn't connect with black people, doesn't connect with Hispanic people. And it doesn't matter what the facts are. That's always the narrative. And a lot of us predicted that if Bernie, even if Bernie won Hawaii, which is the least white state in the country, people would still find a way to say, oh, Bernie still has a minority problem. <laughs> right, right. And, and sure enough, people were tweeting, well, Hawaii isn't that diverse, you know? Well, Hawaii is, uh, people were saying that Hawaii is technically 40% white, which is completely ridiculous. Maybe they got that from the Aloha movie or something, but uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, so, and of course, with Alaska, he won Alaska too. And Alaska, uh, a few months ago, CNN posted a story saying Alaska was the most diverse state in the country. But once Bernie won, they posted a story saying that Alaska was mostly rural and white. So, you know, there's nothing that you can do to break through that narrative. So we basically said, hey, if everybody's going to call us white anyway, we might as well embrace it. So we said, Bernie made us white. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, and the way it started is because uh, I was sort of out of it yesterday. But uh, when I went reading this morning, so the Clinton campaign was trying to, uh, I guess, minimize the damage done by Bernie's big victories on Saturday night by trying to explain the landslides away by saying, oh, those three states are all just very white. That's that's basically what it was, right? And now people of color are saying, "Wait a minute, what about me?" Exactly. You know, you can't just erase us. You know, we exist. I mean, you could maybe you could erase us in Wyoming, but not Hawaii, not not Washington. You know, not Alaska. You can't do that. That's just a bridge too far. That's that was the peak of this. Absurdity that only that Bernie can only connect with white people. Uh, so, so let me ask you this because you do live in Japan. Again, we're speaking with Leslie Lee, who is on Twitter at Tokyo Vampires. When you talk to people in Japan, what is their attitude toward this uh, presidential race that we're in the midst of here? I mean, uh, specifically, I'm asking about the reaction you get when when people uh, bring up Donald Trump's name. Um, well, uh, it's very strange. The reporting on the primary here has been very poor. Most Japanese people think the primary ended on, that I've talked to, thought the primary ended on Super Tuesday oh, no. because they made a very big deal about Super Tuesday. And so, and so, and most people don't know 
who Ted Cruz is that I've talked to. Most people don't really know anything about Bernie Sanders, so they just think it's between Trump and Hillary. And, well, I guess one good thing is they all think, everyone I talk to thinks Trump is just insane. Like, they laugh when they say his name. They just think he's a completely ridiculous character, and they're all hoping that Hillary Clinton can heroically defeat him. But as far as they know, it's only Trump and Clinton in the race. Wow. Now, what are they hearing about Bernie Sanders? Anything? Almost nothing from what I can tell. The media coverage is very um, poor about, you know, uh, Bernie Sanders and Ted Cruz, uh, frankly. It's after Super Tuesday, it was just the reporting was very much about how Trump won and how Hillary won. And that's basically it. Wow. That's fascinating. So after you started this um, this hashtag, were you surprised to see it go viral? Uh, no, not at all. I made one tweet about it, and I knew it would be viral by the morning because it was expressing something that every person of color who supports Bernie Sanders has felt, has dealt with, has been upset by. I knew it would be trending. I, w- I wasn't surprised at all. So let me ask you the same question that I, that I asked a couple of people this morning. Do you Could it be a, a question of, you know, chicken and the egg? The media is so invested in the narrative that Bernie Sanders, you know, has no support uh, uh, among people of color, that all his support is, you know, th- th- those white people. Do you think that he is doing better with white people and not as well uh, among uh, communities of color because this is what's been drummed into our heads by the media? Or is there another underlying reason there? I'm trying to understand what happened in the South and why still a lot of of African-Americans just don't get that Bernie Sanders has their best interests in mind. Okay, well, I can tell you what happened in the South because I'm from the South. Okay. My, My mother and my older sister support Hillary Clinton. And it basically comes down to the fact that Hillary has been running for president for 16 years. Mm -hmm. She has built up a support network. She has built up a brand. She has built up trust there. I'm not, that's not necessarily earned trust, but she's built it up. And the 90s are remembered as a good time for black people, even if when you look at things like mass incarceration or the gunning of welfare, that isn't actually true. But that's the memory. That's the brand. And the Clinton brand is very strong. The Clinton brand has many prominent surrogates like John Lewis, you know, in the South. And very and who John Lewis, who supported Hillary Clinton over Barack Obama, by the way. So they have built a powerful network, extremely powerful network. And it's very hard for Bernie Sanders to break through that, especially when you're talking about early states with early voting, when Bernie Sanders wasn't on TV until February. You know, this is where a lot of the older black people who have given given Hillary Clinton her edge get their news from. They don't if they got their news online, then we would be talking about something different. But when they if you're watching TV, all you see as a older black person is that Hillary Clinton and Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton, and Bernie Sanders is just this kind of kooky white guy right. that only white people like. And that's all you're going to get from the mainstream media. And it's and it's nothing to do with Bernie Sanders or his policies and not a whole lot to do with 
you know, how black people feel about his po policies. Of course, in the South, the South is very conservative, and that includes black people who are more conservative than black people in other parts hmm. of the country. But I th and people aren't don't really talk about that. But still, I think it's mostly about name recognition, brand the um, support network she's built, and just you know that fond men memory of the nineties. <laughs> Fond for some. Anyway, Leslie Lee, congratulations on uh, being on the pulse of the country. Bernie made me white. Uh, very interesting hashtag. Follow Leslie on the Twitters at Tokyo Vampires. And thank you so much for jumping on the line with us today. Oh, thank you so much, Nicole. And go figure. In the short time I was talking with Leslie, we have a new trending hashtag. This time it's hashtag Hillary Tone Deaf. Where does that come from, you ask? Well, I mentioned it earlier. Hillary Clinton's chief strategist, Joel Benenson, earlier today said on CNN, when asked about a debate in New York ahead of their primary, Joel Benenson said, among other things, this. Why not Let's see the tone. This is a man who said he'd never run a negative ad ever. He's now running them. They're now planning to run more. Let's see the tone of the campaign he wants to run uh, before we get to any other questions. Let's see if he goes back to the kind of tone he's going to set early on. If he does that, then we'll talk about debates. I've still never seen a negative ad from Bernie Sanders. He does point out differences that he has with Hillary Clinton, but he doesn't run negative ads. But they have a tone problem. Hashtag Hillary tone deaf. Ah. <sighs> You'll notice I stayed out of the gutter, out of the my wife's hotter than your wife and all the rest of the craziness on the right. I prefer to focus my attention on little birds. <laughs> and with that, we're done uh, for the day. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your hospitality. Brad and Desi return tomorrow. In the meantime, find me at RadioOrNot.com on the Twitters at Nicole Sandler and, well, here whenever... Brad needs a day off. Until next time, stay safe, everyone, and vote. <laughs>